0: Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. Um, I am Kathy Baker, and I'm leading this series that I'm calling The Resurrection, Then What? Last week, we did ses- the session on the ascension, and uh, we moved from the Great Commission where Jesus sent his disciples out into the world, and then he ascended into heaven. This week, we are looking at the Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. So the Ascension happened 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. And now we move to the Pentecost, which is 50 days after the resurrection. So we have 10 days in between Ascension and the day of Pentecost. Now in Judaism, Pentecost was traditionally seen as the day that Moses received the law. And now with Jesus and the Pentecost, it's going to be seen as the day the Holy Spirit came to fulfill God's promise. So it's been 10 days since the followers have seen Jesus. Now, 120 followers are gathered in one place. Let's think about the thoughts and emotions and actions in that room. It's a big house with 120 people. They must have had the range of feelings. They must have been excited, confused, maybe even fearful. Uh, Many of them were struggling with their new task. They were to go and tell the world about Jesus in a counterculture, a place where people were being killed for going against the Roman government that was suppressing any kind of rebellion or any kind of dissent. So that's what was happening to them. Why don't you think for a minute about your thoughts when you've been given a new task, a new assignment, and you don't know all the details? What are your emotions? What are the actions you take when you are facing the unknown? When you've only been given a glimpse of the future, what are you thinking? I imagine that most of these followers spent a lot of time discussing the plans Jesus had given them. They prayed, they recited scripture. How might those prayers have sounded? Do you think they practiced deep breathing exercises? I know that's what I would be doing. What Old Testament scriptures might they have been reciting? Think for a minute about Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Might that have been on their hearts? Well, let's read in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting." Now, remember, they did not know when the Holy Spirit was going to come, and suddenly there's this sound. It's a roaring sound, a mighty, powerful sound. Many of us have heard that roar of tornadoes as they have come through our area. It is so loud, and it's powerful. Now, ordinary winds come from this place or that place, east or west, but this sound, this wind, came from down from heaven itself and the Spirit of God does the same thing. The Spirit of God comes from God Himself. Well, that word breathe, in both Hebrew and Greek, is the same word for wind. So breathing is an important aspect of what God was doing for his followers. The wind was part of creation and God, God breathed got his wind into the nostrils of Adam. The Old Testament Hebrew word for spirit is ruach and that means wind. And the New Testament Greek word for the Holy Spirit is pneuma, which means breath. So we think now of the Holy Spirit as the breath of God. It was from heaven, and it filled the house. God filled not only the room where they were, but it, they, but the entire house was filled with God's presence. That's the way God works with us. He fills our entire lives with his spirit. There's never a time we, when we can say, if I just had, oh, just a little bit more, because he's always there. He is indwelling with us. We often don't just tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, but on this day of Pentecost, he came and filled the room where the disciples were, the house where they were, and he fills us too when we give our hearts and our lives to him. You know, I use this small electric fan when I'm getting dressed in the morning, so it kind of keeps me cool. Well, how do I know that fan works? I can't see any air coming out of it, but I know it's working. I can see those little blades spinning inside, and I can hear this little soft purring that it makes, and I can feel it blowing on my face. I can't see that air, but I feel the power of the fan. And it's the same with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works within me and I can feel the power of the Holy Spirit when I turn over my situations, my problems, my issues to God and I let Him fill me with power and giving me ideas and giving me strength and giving me courage. Well, the Holy Spirit is most definitely with us today. We can't see him, but we know he's there and we know he is working within us. He works within our thoughts and our emotions and our words and our actions and we can feel his presence. Well, there was the wind there on Pentecost Day, but there was also fire. Now, remember, fire has played an important role through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Remember, God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. And he appeared to the disciples on the first day of that day of Pentecost as a flame of fire. Let's look at verse 3. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, they were flames or tongues of fire. Well, fire speaks symbolically of God's presence and his power, And among other things, this fire was going to remind those who were present there of God speaking to Moses by means of the burning bush. The Bible says God himself is a consuming fire, so they knew that image of the the wind the sound of the wind, the image of the fire was the presence of God. So, the 122 would have understood that this was from God sending his power up upon them. Now, notice the scripture says it settled on each of them. The Holy Spirit sat on each of them. One commentator said that there was a deliberate meaning behind the word set. It's the idea of permanence. It's a permanence of position. It's a lasting condition. This is important because it tells us that the power of the Holy Spirit stays with us. A few years ago at Christ Church, speakers of five different languages led the congregation in the Lord's Prayer. It was a joyful noise to hear this prayer in all those languages You know, I can only imagine witnessing the miracle of the people there on the day of Pentecost from different nationalities, speaking different languages all at once. That was the power that was given to them by the Holy Spirit. God works all kind of miracles to spread the good news. And on that day, the people could see and hear the work of God in their lives and in the lives of everyone who had gathered there for the festival of Pentecost. We want to reflect uh, that kind of spirit in our own lives. How obvious is it for the world to see Christ in us? Are we reflecting his spirit? Are we using the gifts that he's given us through that power of the Holy Spirit? You know, it might not be as explosive as uh, it was at Pentecost, but the power of God working through us needs to be seen. You know, power can be used in in two ways. It can be unleashed or it can be harnessed. Well, the let's look at the examples of that. If you take the uh, energy of 10 gallons of gasoline... It can be released explosively by just dropping a lighted match in the can that's holding that gasoline. Or that gasoline can be channeled poured into the engine of a Honda Honda car and it could be just controlled a controlled burn that's used to transport somebody for hundreds of miles on that gallon uh, of gas so it can be explosive or it can be controlled explosions are spectacular But controlled burns have this lasting effect. The Holy Spirit works both ways. See, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit exploded on the scene. That presence was that strong wind wind and the tongues of fire. Thousands were affected by this burst of God's power that day but he also works individually with us. He is working uh, within us in this controlled, long-lasting manner uh, that is in each of us. He stays with us for the long haul. He gives us continual, life-giving power. He gives us staying power, power to plow through our issues, our problems, this continual, never-ending flow of life that he gives us when 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 we turn our lives over to him, look at the effect that that explosion of the Holy Spirit had on the people there. We're looking at verse 5. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise... Everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people all are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our native language. Here we are, and listen to this list. There were Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Figria, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya and around Cyrene, visitors from Rome. It's just the entire area all speaking different languages. They were both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And here's what scripture says, we all Hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. Wow, would that not have been a most magnificent moment? Have you ever been in a crowd of people where you didn't understand what they were saying? You know, I've done some traveling and I've I've done some mission work in Nicaragua, and and I'm always in the minority there when it comes to language. And so I try to grasp onto that Spanish, but it's really hard for me to hear. And so I, I listen to their beautiful music, and I hear sermons, And what they fortunately do is they give a translator, someone who translates those words, and I can understand the message, how powerful that was for God to use that method to spread the good news. Well, verse 12 says this, they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They turned and asked each other, wouldn't you say the same thing? What's going on here? But others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, oh, they're just drunk, that's all. You know, there's always that group of skeptics, those in denial or those who are living in the world of criticism. Well, even on the day of Pentecost, they were there. Some there are amazed and perplexed Naturally, they're curious about how this group of Galileans could speak languages that were native to places like Alexandria and Rome and Mesopotamia. Well, like the many crowds Jesus encountered in his ministry, they want to hear more. But others dismissed this whole thing as like, this. oh, it's just a phenomenon. They mock Jesus and they mock his followers and they just say they're drunk. Well, this band of followers have traveled now with Jesus for three and a half years. And after performing miracles around the Sea of Galilee, scribes from Jerusalem declared that Jesus' power came from Satan. So uh, these followers were kind of used to hearing this kind of criticism. Jesus had prepared them for this reaction. He explained to them that his message is hard to hear and they will be persecuted for preaching it. But if they are preaching his message and the people reject it, they are rejecting Jesus and not his servants. What a beautiful job Jesus did in preparing his followers for that. Well, the presence, the indwelling, and the working of the Holy Spirit is hard to understand, isn't it? Thank God that he sent the Holy Spirit in such a powerful and visual way with so many witnesses it's the way he did his ascension, wasn't it? There, were, It was there for all to see. I can't fathom how that day looked or how the people must have felt, but here's what I trust. I trust that it happened. I trust that the Holy Spirit descended that day of Pentecost, and I trust that the Holy Spirit is alive and works in my life as he worked in the lives of those who first witnessed it. Well, somebody has to answer this criticism, and so Peter, who has now been forgiven and he's been restored, is ready to step up for his new calling, and he responds to these naysayers. Look at verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles. I love that image. He is stepping in front of the crowd. You know, that's, that's such a beautiful indication of his confidence at that point. He didn't shrink back. He didn't run away. He didn't begin the denial again. No, he stepped out. He stepped forward by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You know, that is such a reminder to us to collaborate and to cooperate with God's spirit when he prompts us to do something, to stand up and to speak for him. Peter is getting ready to set the record straight. Look at what the verse continues to say. And he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully. I oh, hope Peter had to be pointing his finger. All of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. And then listen what he says. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Now, here's the story behind that. It's festival day. It's the day of Pentecost. And Jews would not break their fast until at least 10 o'clock. So it was very unlikely that anybody would be drunk. It just didn't even make sense. Yet, even in biblical days, though, there were all those naysayers and somebody had to do the damage control, didn't they? Verse 16 tells us, Know what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. So Paul, Peter g- digs into the, the history and the prophecies that this is something that was going to happen. And those who were Jews in the crowd would have understood, and they they were the Jews in the crowd because they had come for the day of Pentecost. And so he is saying this was prophesied long ago, and he begins to speak about that, and he speaks about the, resignation, the resurrection. And he is telling those who listen, to go out and he's going to tell them to let the world know that Jesus is the Lord and Messiah. So he's telling them this really happened. And so he's preaching to them and in verse 37, we see that Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brother, what should we do? The Holy Spirit worked through Peter's words so that hearts were pierced. See, that's another role that the Holy Spirit places in our lives. He gives us the words, and he prepares the hearts of those who are going to listen. He did that for Peter, and their hearts were touched. They listened, and they said, okay, what do we do now? Peter responds to that, each of you. And so this is the gospel message This is the formula, the plan that Jesus had told them they need to say. You need to repent. Repent from your sins and turn to God. And then what follows that is be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then when you do that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, he gives them the whole plan. The message of the good news of the gospel is that we need to repent and we need to give our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ, be baptized, and then when we uh, get forgiveness for our sins and we accept Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus told them to preach. He preached a long time. And look at the result in verse 39. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord of God. And then Peter, Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, stay, save yourselves from this crooked generation, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, and get this drum roll, please, about three thousand in all. The Holy Spirit unleashed his power. In such a way that the Roman Empire was not accustomed to that kind of power. And three thousand were saved and baptized. And now the new church is up and running. But how is it going to continue? Well, we read in Acts 2.42 what the next step is. This section is titled, The Believers Form a Community. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing of the meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. (coughs) A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. See, those 3,000 believers formed a community. And look at what they did. They began to learn together. They worshiped together. They had fellowship together. They ate together. And the apostles continued to do what Jesus taught them. And they were performing miracles and spreading the good news of the gospel and the followers shared with them in their needs they worshiped together they praised god they enjoyed being together and they gave of themselves they they gave what they had to participate in this spreading of the good news we find in the book of acts this accurate record of the early church it provides eyewitness accounts uh, of how this, the church was born and how it began to grow. Notice that it began uh, as they formed small groups of disciples. Now, they they met in the large churches, the temples outside the, the temple, and then They went on to homes, and so they formed their small groups, and then it began to spread. It went from Jerusalem to Damascus, to Antioch, to Asia Minor, to Greece, and finally to Rome. Rapid, exponential growth. It was New Testament growth. If the church is growing this fast, where do they start putting people? Well, it tells us that they met in the temple courts and then moved from house to house. Do you know that in the temples, as they met outside, they could have had about a 100,000 people outside the church. And then... During the week, they went from house to house. It's the it's the form we use today for worship. We have large group corporate worship, usually on Sunday mornings. Now, sometimes it's Saturday nights also. And then we break up into our small groups that meet throughout the week. It is the same model 2,000 years later. Well, today, we continue to experience God's breath, God's spirit You know, one of the United Methodist creeds says, We believe in the Holy Spirit, God present with us for guidance, for comfort, and for strength. We sense this Spirit in the time we have alone with God, perhaps in prayer, in studying Scripture in reflection on a a difficult decision or as we think about loved ones. The Spirit's touch is very personal with us. Perhaps we're even more aware of the Holy Spirit if we're in a community of believers and we see how God is at work uh, within that group. Well, how does the Holy Spirit then work in us? Well, He changes us. He renews us. He strengthens us for the work of ministry. There are two specific ways that we can demonstrate the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Here are the two fruits and gifts. We're going to touch much more on this in our lesson next week, but here's what what, about fruits. Jesus said, You will know them by their fruits. That's what Jesus said about his followers. Well, what sort of fruit? will we learn this from Paul in Galatians 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, this is how we're going to be known, is love, joy, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's how we will be known. If we're controlled by the Spirit, we're using the Spirit, people will see it through our fruit. Well, gifts are... Paul also writes that the Spirit bestows spiritual gifts on believers once we give our hearts to Him. Spiritual gifts are are this special set of abilities that God has given to us to share His love and to serve others. Well, our, our spiritual gift is not like a ministry in itself, but it's a tool to use to get the job done that God asks us to do. And scripture tells us in 1 Peter 4 verse 10 the most uh, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Uh, we have a list of 28 and spiritual gifts that I uh, refer to, and I give those in my group's assessments. Uh, I'd love for you to take that assessment if you haven't, so that you will know your gifted area and where and how to serve God. Through these fruits and these gifts, the Holy Spirit empowers us for ministry in the world. I want to close with an example uh, given by Pastor David Jeremiah. When geese migrate, they can be seen flying in a V-shaped formation. And to those of on, on the ground looking at that is such a beautiful thing of beauty. But to the geese, it's essential for their survival. See, if you watch, you can observe that at certain intervals relative to the strength of the wind, the lead bird, who, who's doing most of the work by breaking that force of the wind uh, against him, will drop off and fly at the end of the formation, And it's been discovered that the flapping wings create an uplift of air. And the effect is greater at the rear of the formation. So the geese take turns lifting each other up. See, by cooperating and working together, the geese achieve long migrations that otherwise would be really hard for even the strongest It is in a similar way that God has called us as his people. As believers in Christ, we are to lift one another up through prayer, through the use of our spiritual gifts to love and support each other through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are to share with all of our means uh, to love and care for those others uh, that we are working and serving with and for. And we can go further into godliness than we ever thought if we are working and serving together in harmony. I hope that you have discovered your own spiritual gift or gifts and that you are living in the beautiful fruit of the spirit for that is the way we will continue to share the good news father thank you so much that you breathed life into adam that your word breath is the breath of god and that that is what we feel in in our own soul in our own spirit the spirit of god help us to use the holy spirit who dwells within us when we give our heart to to him to you and help us this week to be focused on showing the fruit and living out our spiritual gifts. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much.